Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all you theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to a bonus episode of Broadway Breakdown. Uh, I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and we've got a very special guest today. Uh, This gentleman is a Tony nominee for, I think it's safe to say, one of the biggest hits of this current Broadway season, and has a, a lot of that has to do with his work as music arranger, orchestrator, and music director of One and Juliet, as I like to call it, Ms. Juliet. Uh, so please welcome Dominic Falacaro. Hi, Dominic. Hello. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. Do you mind if I call you Dom? I don't. Do people call you Dom all the time? Of course. Do they call you a Dom Blonde? <laughs> no, no. Although oh. I was told in college a very uh, nerdy joke that I was meant to lead a septet so it could be called Dom Seven uh, as like a kind of chord, uh, which is very deep pull, very just playing to crickets. Yeah. Well, listen, if, if there's anything I've learned about Doms, they do like to pull. So <laughs> there we go. See, you went for like a nerdy music reference, as is your want, and I went full on gross sexual, as is my want. And that's what's going to make this bonus episode so special. <laughs> uh, so, Dominic, uh, talk to me for a second. What is your uh, history on the music scene? Like, how did you get started and what was your career prior to Und Juliet? So I, I've been playing piano for my whole life since kindergarten and uh, I studied classical and then I got more into pop and jazz music and I came to New York to study jazz and to basically just try to hack it as a professional musician. And uh, I always more than anything liked being in the recording studio. And so any band that I could play in that would also get into the recording studio, I wanted to be a part of. Uh, and uh, early on, I met someone that was very uh, passionate about children's music. My now good friend, Tim Kubart. Uh, And we began making records together, one of which won a Grammy in 2016. And then from that, we started writing music for Sesame Street, uh, where I met Bill Sherman, who's the supervisor of that show. And then Bill was working on 
and Julia at that stage. And he sort of roped me into this crazy world. And so theater was very new to me. Uh, Everything has been sort of figuring it out as I go. But it's been lots of jobs that I do separately all have to fire together for theater. So, okay, first of all, I love how you just casually threw in that Grammy win and then moved right along because you were on to bigger and better things already. Um, <laughs> that's like me saying, and then, you know, I won my Pulitzer, but that, you know, I, I had more things to do in 2018. Uh, what was the Grammy for? So it was for producing the best children's record in 2016. Ah, oh, I love I, I love that you're out there or were out there. I don't know if you're still doing it, producing quality content for the children. We need to make sure our children are smart and cultured. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, like a lot of I owe basically anything cool that's happened in my life to just sort of saying yes to interesting things and things outside of my comfort zone and meeting someone that was very passionate about children's music and wanted to bring kind of pop into that universe. That was my sort of duty in that in that space. And we've been making music together for a, a long time now. Uh, and it was sort of the same thing for Julia, albeit a very different medium. It was like, how can you translate the world of pop and kind of bring it into the theater space? Yeah. So then what was your, did you have any experience with theater at all prior to and Juliet? Were you just sort of a passing fan? So I think it was, you know, in high school, I, I, want, I was a sponge musically. If it was, if it was music and it could also get me out of doing other classes, I wanted to be involved in it. So I was in, you know, jazz band and other things like that. But I was I played the French horn. I did every choir that I could possibly do. And then I did every high school musical that was around just because, again, it's music and a chance to kind of be making stuff. So like did South Pacific and into the woods and stuff like that. But I don't think I really like did a big foray into what theater really is until until Anne Juliet, where I sort of this job came into my life. And then I got sort of dispatched around on a master class of going to see Broadway shows really quickly. So I saw an insane amount of shows in a very short period of time early on. Yeah. Uh, and just trying to get my kind of my head around it. And it's been a very a, a wonderful world to kind of get immersed in. Absolutely. So then when you started working on and Juliet with Bill Sherman, what was one of the first lessons you were told while working on the music for it? Yeah, I think one of the, the so that's twofold. I, I got one of which was because I knew my job would be being music director. And so I not only got to see some shows, but I would meet with the MDs of them afterwards. And I got to also watch certain shows from the pit. I sat in the pit at Wicked. I sat like just very cool kind of things to be immersed. And I sat in a rehearsal for Hamilton, like just very cool, just kind of dive into the deep end. And it was uh, watching very talented MDs on all these shows, uh, how they disseminate notes, how they sort of uh, interface with a cast and sort of what they're listening for to keep ensemble vocals tight and interesting. And then how to sort of you're you have so many amazingly talented people and then uh your your job is to sort of like elevate their talent and also maintain this sort of uh the this music that uh requires a lot of precision because so many people are moving around and and all this stuff so watching them give notes was very fascinating and then part of this other job that was uh was great was meeting max and getting to work with max martin who which mm. was kind of the, the biggest uh interest for me in going on this journey in the first place and learning from him sort of uh, everything from 
synthesizer sounds to working with vocalists in a recording studio to just just every facet of musicality was was the uh really yeah like life-changing yeah so okay i'm gonna we're gonna go all over the place welcome to the pod dominic we go all over the place love it um i i want to ask you sort of as an example uh and maybe you don't remember the details of this one you can choose a different one if you like but i'm trying to think of a way to talk about the collaborative process on and Juliet because it is a jukebox musical. So the songs were already written and we have a libretto by David West Reed libretto for any first time listeners here who maybe came on here due to Dominic. The libretto is the script just in case anyone doesn't know the lingo, but you know, we have our introductory song for Juliet, which is hit me baby one more time. And it's not done the way the song is usually done it's done a little more like a, honestly like an adele power ballad it's it, it, it gives me very first half of uh rolling in the deep vibes yeah, there we go with like a little uh, with, i don't know like a little heavy opera in there as well not that she's singing opera but you know like that kind of intensity yeah, and so drive. yeah and so that moment what is how does that moment come to be musically does it start with david already has it in the script that that's a number that he really think fits there uh and then you and uh, your collaborator come together and go, okay, how do we make this work? Or is there something that someone else goes, I feel like I hear it this way. Like what is it sort of everyone's throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks? How does, how is that (laughs) working? So for baby one more time, I think early on we knew what if that was the, I want moment. Mm -hmm. What if that was Juliet sort of reclaiming and how can we make this song, uh, you know, Brittany at that age and Juliet at at that sort of similar age, how can we make that sort of the like deep in your feels kind of thing? And I think something that Luke, our director and David, the book writer, uh, talk about a lot is dare to be serious and like to t- really, really take it seriously and like it, go from the text. And so I think we knew like, what if we try to deliver the most like credible version of this song? And so Hit Me Baby One More Time starts with a very like iconic piano, the bum bum bum. That's like such a like uh, gut punch of what everyone knows is that song. So we're like, okay, piano is the start. So what if we take you as far away as possible and we're going to lead you with other instruments? We're not going to lean on the piano. So we started the process, Bill and I, of thinking about it as like a very like guitar driven kind of like songwriter kind of thing. And then one of our other sort of magic tricks in orchestration is how can we give you the DNA that you know of the that piano thing and then present it with other instruments and kind of give it to you in an unexpected way. So that piano lick gets disseminated to our strings. It gets disseminated to the bass and it becomes sort of the heartbeat of this song. And if you go and listen to our version, if you see the show, um, this like dong dong dung dung is the way we're sort of interpolating the the iconic max martin piano into an orchestral setting and so it started with story it started with the script and then it it's bill and i sitting together by a piano and by a guitar in this case and sort of hashing it all out uh and and just yeah seeing how far away we can kind of toss the boomerang and see if it if it still works and the the nucleus of everything is is the melody. Uh, Max's incredible melodies are the glue that allows us to be daring and go far away. Were there any concepts or ideas you guys tried out that didn't end up making it into the show? I think, you know, 
Max's catalog is an embarrassment of riches. There is three other musicals of stuff that is on the cutting room floor. So there are some uh, previous drafts that have uh, some I love to your new lover in there. There's certain things that had, there. there's certain songs that just ended up not playing as well. There's mm-hmm. a moment that I I missed musically, but it wasn't it didn't serve the story quite as much. And so it didn't didn't stay. But there was a ballad in act two that featured a sort of deep cut of Max, this pink song, uh, I Don't Believe You, mm-hmm. uh, it was Shakespeare and Romeo sort of singing that about, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, a lull in act two and singing about their respective partners. Uh, and so I miss I miss certain things like that. And there are certain things that hit the floor, but it's all again uh, through the workshop and kind of development process of just like, do we need it? Do we absolutely need it? And there are certain things that just don't, you know don't make it well the good news is that because of max's catalog and i'm sure you guys have a whole bunch of others that you tried out that didn't make it you have enough cut material for a second album and you can can call it and and juliet yeah yeah double ampersand exactly um we're so the show opened in the west end comes to across the pond and actually you guys went to canada first right yeah toronto yeah and then to and then to broadway we're so I mean, whole and obviously, like the show is mostly set because you know that it works. You're not going to overhaul the whole thing, but you do have a whole new cast of actors who you know have to both be uh, adaptive to the production as it exists, but also the production kind of has to bend a little bit to what new people bring to the material. Uh, how do you handle that as a music director? And then were there maybe any uh, alterations for certain actors, maybe voices or personalities or or things like that? Yeah, I mean, you always want to like let someone shine the, as themselves the most. And I think, you know, if you uh, like uh, shout out to Miriam in London, who was an amazing read on Juliet and was just the so amazing in that part. And we've developed it so much around her. And Lorna here is such a different read on it. Um, and I think it's a testament to the songs that like not a lot of stuff needed, like, oh, throw throw all the keys out. Everything's so wildly different. But it's just sort of their unique voice as they find their way through it. I, you know, specific, tangible musical things are uh, some of the riffs at the end of Roar are slightly different. Or there's a little bit of things here and there that are a little bit modified for each person. But uh, I think it is just allowing a lot of the originality comes in their delivery that gets us in and out of the songs. Um, we didn't have to do a lot of legwork within the songs to change for our, for our cast. We will, I will say we did, you know, in thinking about bringing it over here, it was another opportunity to upgrade and kind of like what, what, what do we really need to stay? And so we shaved, I don't know, a few minutes off the show as we came, came here and just, you know, do we need this chorus in the middle? Do we need this little bit of thing? And so just a, a little bit of tightening. And that's mm-hmm. you know what we found out uh, through working with these actors here. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's always good to kind of take every new production as an opportunity to see what else can be adjusted, which is nice. I uh, This isn't um, a you question. It's just a thing that I actually really like about the casting of Lorna. When I saw it, I was actually surprised I had never heard her voice before, and I, it was really nice to hear a very full, mature-sounding voice on these pop songs. Because you always go into these things and you're expecting everyone to, you know, do a Britney or like, you know, get very pingy. And Lorna, you know, has this incredible range, but it's a very full voice. And I'm like, ah, oh, a woman, I love it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. That voice is showstopper. It's it's absolutely amazing. I think that was uh, as sort of a tangent. That was one of the coolest parts about working with Max on the cast recordings uh, is that, you know, Max is used to writing and developing these songs with the artists and you're sort of figuring it out as you go and it's built for their voice. And recording a vocal can take, you know, a full day. It can take a long period of time. Max gets super detailed and into the weeds. And so then to have these very trained Broadway singers come in, both in the West End and over here, and show up, do take one, lights out, like just yeah. fully, fully crush it. And Max just sort of looks over and is like, I guess we should do it again. Maybe one, what, once more, I guess. Like, it just, did it did he say so maybe one more time? Come <laughs> on, baby, one more time. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I enjoyed about uh, your guys' arrangements for this is there is kind of a... Tr- it's tricky to do jukebox musicals when it's not about... A specific artist right because when it's you know the neil diamond musical or the share musical performers then go okay well i can try to make my voice sound like the artist but when it's something like and juliet or mamma mia it's often broadway singers people who are trained to have a specific kind of sound however flexible uh that might be and so you do have to kind of adapt these songs that we're used to hearing a certain kind of glossy way and then making it fit for this kind of singing voice um, and so I've, I've, I've thought that that was a very, um, impressive, uh, endeavor. Was, was there a song that was particularly hard to crack in that respect or was like hard to find a way in either through the story or through the sound? Well, I mean, so much credit is due to David West Reed, who sort of, you know, we were given such free reign with Max's catalog and like the fact that, you know, there are mega mega hits that we don't use. And there are some like deeper cuts that we do use. It was always about like what works best kind of in the story. I mean, we take uh, a big Britney song and play it in front of the harpsichord. You know, it's it's mm. uh, like we're, we're only going for like what is maximizing story punch all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we were all very much. Uh, it was an amazing creative team to be a part of because it it was always like a best idea wins kind of thing. And I think a lot of that editorial process of like, does it work was a lot in song choice. And right away we knew something was, was right or going to work. I'll, I'll remember uh, David coming in, bringing what he want from me in and realizing, Oh my gosh, this absolutely buttons up Francois and May's story and kind of heightens the tension. Uh, I think that that's a good example though, of there's a, a lot of times when Bill and I try to do the trick of, um, you know, we sort of pick two routes with how we start a song. There is the we're giving it to you exactly as you know it. Like with if it's it's my life, you're hearing the exact talk box sound. You're hearing that exact iconic sound. And then the other kind of camp is the wait. Are they actually doing this one? Like how far away can we go with it? And so, what do you want from me? Has a very iconic kind of guitar intro. And so we're like, we're not going to start with that. And something that Luke, our director, was talking about is that it needs to feel like an argument right away. It needs to have constant motion. And so I developed sort of this guitar pattern over many edits and trial and error with with the cast and sort of you're uh, you're making it in real time with the actors. And so that's one one of the coolest parts of it. And I think it's again, it's a testament to Mac songs that, you know, 
these songs work in so many people's voices because just the melodies are so iconic. And the fact that, you know, you have so, so much of Max's catalog is young love and about just like, yeah, like first love and very like intense, high drama feelings around that. But we have Teenage Dream, which is like one of the most essences of those feelings kind of being sung with our uh, older generation of actors delivering that message. So I think right away, we're always into like, how sort of challenging your expectations around those songs. Yeah, staying, trying to get one step ahead of the audience for sure. Uh, is there a particular moment in the show where you can hear that entire audience react to a song starting that they weren't expecting? Oh, man, it's amazing to watch an audience watch it. So part of my uh, duties as a music director uh, is to not only play the show, but uh, on a regular basis, step out into the house and kind of listen to it, watch it, kind of give notes and feedback. Uh, and in that process is just one of my greatest joys, which is watching people watch it. And I think there's nothing like getting to I want it that way, where you sort of hear the collective like, oh, like mm-hmm. we're going here. Like this is where we are going. Yeah. And sort of like in sort of watching the like the 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 light bulbs all go go off above people's heads about, OK, I, I understand what we are doing now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, which is great. Did you ever see Mamma Mia on the stage? I did, yeah. Okay. Um, was it early in the run, late in the run? Do you remember? What- I saw it. I I saw it in the West End actually. So it was a sort of all altogether different production. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I saw it in the West End too. I, my listeners have heard me tell this story, but you haven't heard me tell this story. No, no, no. So no, I'm no, gonna. I'm, game. We're, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm, my listeners are gonna have to just fucking deal with it. So. I first saw Mamma Mia in the West End when I was like nine or ten. I didn't know ABBA. I didn't know what to expect. It hadn't come to America yet. I was I famously did not like it because I didn't like everyone was clapping and singing along. I was like, this is not proper theater etiquette. Little baby <laughs> me in, in his like sweater yeah. with his grandma. And then in the two years between London and uh, Broadway, I came to sorry, in the West End, not on the West End. I have learned that it is in the West End. Ah. Uh, we say on Broadway, but I have a listener who's from England who's worked in the West End, and he goes, Matthew, but, it's in the West End. So I'm trying try to train to myself. Too, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to train myself to say that. Uh, so in those two years, I got to know ABBA better, and I learned more about sort of what their famous songs were. I got, I got more into them, and I learned that Winner Takes It All is like top five most famous ABBA songs, probably even like top three up there with Dancing Queen, and you know the title song and the playbill for mamma mia never lists the order in which the songs come they just tell you what the songs are going to be so the audiences know what's going to be in there and everyone's waiting for the big ones and they do mamma mia and dancing queen and chickatee they do all that in act one they get all the big ones out in act one and then act two you know the winner takes it all is coming but by the time that it happens everyone's so invested in the plot they forgot that they were waiting for it yeah and similar to frankie and may donna and sam have this big argument after slipping through my fingers it's this big book scene and sam goes donna listen she goes i don't want to talk and the entire audience just went ah because it was a combo of okay this is when the song's happening i forgot i was waiting for the song perfect moment and i heard a couple of those moments at and juliet and sometimes it was a trick that um david would do with lyrics for example the reprise of i want it that way in act two uh when I know larger than life opens act two uh, opens act one. What's the song that the boy band does in act two with Shakespeare, Frankie? Uh, so they sing everybody. So everybody, the, yeah. That's a again. Act two has a, a few jokes that are like two hours in the making. Du, du Bois, Du Bois, exactly. I mean, yeah. Spoiler, spo- spoilers. But yeah, the 
Dubois, Dubois, and uh, yeah, the fact they sing it's going to be May, like, uh, yeah, it's just things yeah. that take a while to pay off. And again, all credit to David. That was in like the first draft of the script I ever had. So like he he knew we were <laughs> we were going and like we all knew what we were in for. And just you always hope that it's going to pay off in that yeah. way and bring it to an audience the first time and sort of yeah. like, especially for it's going to be me like it, that it, it sometimes there's like initial like polite applause and then like the oh my goodness applause yeah <laughs> it'll vary sometimes but that's yeah. not you guys that's just an audience getting on your speed i also remember when juliet started oops i did it again and since you've been gone both times it was there was a specific crowd of women who were there and when both of those songs started it was sort of a they wanted to applaud but the song was already like well underway and so they were like i i so it was a th- that excitement is a lot of fun, but it's nice to, to sometimes see when uh, Dave is playing chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. You know, yeah, absolutely, it's really amazing, and I love. I think something that I'm proud of musically is, yeah, that we sort of get you into some of those songs, and you just sort of have to hold on to that energy and like keep that kind of pent up. And when I, sort of one of the most interesting things I learned getting into theater and really learning from Bill um, is. That applause is something that you can not manufacture, but like you can be strategic about when that happens and like how it happens and how you sort of button certain songs or not button and kind of move through things. And like, yeah, I, I think uh, allowing that kind of tension and release in certain ways or subverting it is just as much musically a part of things as it is a uh, story part of things and sort of like. Uh, that we sort of leave you on uh, pins and needles for the end of that's the way it is and sort Mm -hmm. of like let silence happen for a second and everyone's sort of charged up and then we give you the ending of it. Yeah, there's lots of moments in the show that I'm very proud of, of like how we sort of navigate through, yeah, Yeah. the audience being so excited. Yeah, I think, I don't think it's uh, out of line to say that you can definitely figure out how to make an audience applaud and when it only feels manipulative when it's not done terribly inventively when you see someone do sort of a very paint by numbers bob ross thing and you're like i know you want me to applaud here but i feel manipulated like um there was a very famous director choreographer michael bennett he did chorus line in dream girls and he was he was known at the time for telling his uh casts when he would choreograph numbers them. he goes and then the audience is going to applaud right here and they go i don't know michael and then the very first performance, they would applaud exactly when he said they would, because he knew how to make a number build to that. Now that you're in the theater, what has been some of the bigger surprises for you? I think the biggest surprise to me is I, as music director, it's a very like kind of octopus arms like uh, kind of job. And so MDing uh, in my time before theater is really just running a band, working with the artist, bringing their uh, their songs kind of uh, into a live setting and making sure that things flow well with the band and and everything from running rehearsals to giving out music and stuff like that. So a, a lot of details. But that's just like one very small component of a day to day in the theater. It's also like uh, maintaining like teaching stuff to actors and uh, giving notes and dealing with certain like sound and technology things. There's there's like a hundred things that are happening during a show. Uh, and, you know, part of playing in a pit on Broadway is that, you know, we have an amazing band shout out to the band like they're uh, uh, we have nine musicians downstairs 
And, you know, part of being a working musician in the pit is subbing things out. And so you're also meeting other musicians that sort of come in and read your show and play your show. And I think a surprising element is like meeting some of these subs that come in and it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm playing and Juliet. I learned the book. I I'm, and they do a great job on it. And it's like, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm playing on some like a hot and the next day I'm playing on this. And the next day I'm playing on like the fact that someone can keep that musical Rolodex happening is very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think, yeah, the, the n- things that were new and surprising to me were also sort of the ability to both play the show consistently and like execute it perfectly in time and then also be like oh our cellist is new today and i should tell them that they should bring out that first solo and like take notes amidst doing other stuff like developing the like split your brain into like four parts skill set is definitely a new and surprising part of things oh absolutely but now you know you have it and now that you've unleashed it you can't put it back in the cage unstoppable yeah on that note, we do have to take one quick break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. You're the nimble thread of the future. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. Hey, uh, thank, thank you for your patience in that break, Dominic. I mean, I know it was so long, but you got a, a lot of stuff done. It's all right. Yeah, he orchestrated a whole new show since then. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, first of all, uh, your efforts for this show did not go unnoticed. You got nominated for a Tony Award. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's well, I didn't say congratulations yet. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you deserved it. No, you do. Ah. Uh, no, your guys' uh, orchestrations and arrangements are fantastic. It's, this was a very good year for orchestrations. I looked at the nominees. And I'm like, I'm not mad about any of these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were the one that's capable of doing it is is very worthy. It's a really wild thing yeah. to sort of. Well, yeah, so I, I'm I'm definitely an orchestration whore. Like I I love listening to different recordings of shows you know when a certain score gets a revival with all these new orchestrations it's always exciting for me to hear how they're done sometimes i find that they're too big or too small or 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 too rushed but that's not necessarily an orchestration thing that's a tempo thing but still uh it's i the complexities of how an orchestra moves along with a score has always fascinated me and i've just come to appreciate it more and more what was the process of the tonys like for you what did you know what was that road like 
I mean, it's fantastic. It's also a real gauntlet and very busy. Uh, I mean, we're fortunate enough to be nominated for all, for a lot of different things. And uh, with that comes uh, performing on TV shows, which, again, is amazing. But uh, showing up for Good Morning America is like a 5 a.m. call time, which is uh, a little different from uh, a lot of other shows and, and, and things uh-huh. like that. It takes a certain kind of stamina. Uh, but you know, getting ready for the Tonys, we were also lucky enough to perform at the Tonys, which was amazing. And so Bill and I tried to do a sort of like re number of roar and sort of add some orchestral flair to the band that we usually have. So, you know, we don't have a bassoon in our pit normally. We don't have mm-hmm. a set of trombones, but like, let's blow it out. Let's, let's take advantage of the whole Tonys band and really like do the thing. And I think uh, what I'm proudest of with our orchestration stuff is that it's fusing the world of acoustic instruments in a band playing it with sort of the laser beams and beep boops that live inside a computer and in a recording studio and sort of like navigating between those two things or having those two things fire on top of each other. Yeah. Uh, What was Tony Knight like for you? Oh, goodness. Uh, It's a long day. You show up for the red carpet super early and you're Mm -hmm. you're doing all the things. And uh, then, yeah, we're, you know, orchestration is pre telecast. So you're there pretty early. Uh, and, uh, yeah, sitting and clapping and sort of soaking it in and watching the performances. Uh, it's a very beautiful theater there. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was great to sort of, you know, I play the show all the time, so I don't really get to see the other, other ones. So it was nice to see sort of a glimpse into some of the other, the other shows. It's like, okay, that's what they're doing. That's great. I love it. Exactly. Was there anyone you met that left you particularly starstruck? Hmm. Uh, I will say not necessarily at the Tonys, but we did a ham for ham the other week in preparation for the Tonys mm-hmm. and get to sit on the same piano bench as Sarah Bareilles and sort of work out the 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 boy band hits of our, our youth is great. Like what a what a lovely moment to have. So that's 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 the kind of stuff I love. You know, being new to Broadway is there is a very like community first kind of aspect to this of like we are all kind of swimming in the same thing together and uh just watching actors support actors and musicians support musicians and kind of like stepping into that um uh that very like uber supportive community is is wonderful so the fact that like yeah everyone was game to sing along to other other people's things it was it was great it's a really like positive experience so that's I guess that's about as close to starstruck because it's it's just great to be around I mean, folks like that. No, Sarah Bareilles is definitely someone you can get starstruck by. I I re- I recommend it for anyone who hasn't done it yet. Definitely meet Sarah Bareilles and get a little struck by her. <laughs> uh, well, in your you know, I guess research slash training for and Juliet, and then I don't know if you are still sort of doing any of this for any future projects. But have are there any particular scores that you were exposed to during all this that you've now kind of come to glob onto and not only that but like specific uh arrangements and orchestrations yeah definitely i think i love my biggest thing is learning sort of the different sizes of bands in different places and i I guess part of my like experience before and kind of the nerdiness of who i am i love seeing uh, the ways of implementing technology in different spaces. So, you know, the kind of pit that Wicked is running is very different than what Dear Evan Hansen was, is very different than what Hamilton is. And sort of like learning how they make the donuts for all of these is the most fascinating kind of component. And then talking to the people who make those sounds mm-hmm. and like from MDs about it, that's that's so interesting to me because, you know, 
different orchestrators and different composers have different ways of, oh, we present the strings like this, or we're using this for a big dramatic moment. But to me, I, I always want to go like one notch deeper of like, what are we playing? What are we doing? How, like, how are you executing it in the moment? And yeah, just like le- watching other MDs play their own shows is 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 a very fascinating kind of thing. And for me, moving forward, I'm very focused on, I really am interested in all the stuff that seems sort of like, I don't know how you could pull that off with live musicians. Like mm-hmm. I, that's, that's what I'm most interested in stuff that we think of living in a studio setting or like other more technology intensive things. That's what I get really excited about. And so, so as I start to think about the future and like who I'm working with, it's like, I want to break stuff. You know, I want to always be in, you know, uh, interested in and trying to figure out like how could we execute this with live musicians in a theater setting that would that's super rewarding do you have uh any theater projects coming up you don't have to go into full detail yeah, but do you so i am i'm starting to work with a couple younger writers and yeah it is very much focused as like a music production side first and i i'm able to in a developmental process be thinking of through through the work of Anne Julia of like, this is something we were able to make work. And I know that we're able to make it work. And then also look for new challenges of like, how can we make this sound come out of the speakers? So yeah, yeah. really try to work with young writers who are interested in yeah breaking things. Sure, sure. That's always good. Uh, what what genres of music do you tend to gravitate towards? Because you, I mean, you, ha- you worked as a jazz pianist for a while. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still, I mean, I have a very soft spot for jazz music it's um to me jazz was like the equivalent of trying to like speak latin as someone that's very into words it's like if you can kind of become very fluent in this thing learning jazz was to learn that if you can really speak this thing all the people that i admired sort of ended up on other people's records that i really admire it's like wait the the drummer on this was also the drummer on this and they're on like kind of learning that if you can get to a certain cruising altitude, mu- the world of music opens up to you. And I always liked that about jazz. Mm-hmm. But through and through, I-, I love pop music. And so working with Max was a, a dream come true because I like Ace of Bass was one of my first CD purchases with my own money as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I love pop music. I love, um, yeah, I love things that have uh, some sort of marriage between electronic components and some sort of band components, which is why I also love sort of this like almost disco renaissance that's starting to come back in vogue a little bit where it's like, oh my God, I'm hearing strings. I'm hearing all these other things like mm-hmm. in a pop setting, like you're hearing Dua Lipa, but you're hearing like, uh, yeah, like on the floor and like- Oh, all, I, know, all- I know exactly what you're talking about. The, the new Dua Lipa song for the Barbie movie. Yeah, there are, there's a full string section. I'm obsessed with it. It's great. I, like, yeah. I, love, I love that these things come together and like, watching Max work with Lizzo and other things and like sort of, yeah, kind of taking a peek behind the curtain of how, how these things happen. I, I, I'm i always interested in pop music because pop music is such a wide umbrella. Like someone mm-hmm. can be so different than someone else, but it still is like three minutes, 30 seconds or whatever it is. And it's just delivering you the truth as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it, what makes what, what makes boundaries get pushed is when you sort of lean into what excites you and what sounds new to you. Every time someone says, you know, well, that's not really in the mold of what people do. It's like, yeah, well, it can be. Exactly. If it, if, as long as it's good. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, what is one of the challenges you face 
on a weekly basis with N Juliet as you keep the show fresh and and put people in. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you've if you've seen our show, it's, you know, what what the actors up there are doing is is nothing short of phenomenal. And it's uh, unbelievable the kind of work that they put in. I think one of the most amazing things. So, again, coming from outside the universe, like I knew, you know, that there was the actors on stage doing it and I knew there was some sort of crew and the concept of like an understudy made sense to me. But I I did not know what a swing was until being Uh in this and sort of like learning that there are these absolute like magicians that can that's chameleon into any sort of thing is really uh, mind blowing. And so learning that infrastructure is like a blessing and a challenge because a challenge means, you know, someone's injured, someone's sick. Those are things that get uh, thrown at you on a day to day basis. And you sort of deal with, OK, this person's going up as this this person's going up on this. I should make sure to tell them that we're going a little faster in this song. You know, you're very like. It's all happening kind of in the moment and it's very exciting, but it's uh, yeah, the the thing that is difficult is also a huge blessing because you kind of meet these uh, amazing human beings. We just we just brought on a new swing in the show and to watch someone like learn, learn all these things for the first time. It, it's it's amazing what uh, what they are capable of. And so it is both. Yeah, difficult because it's just like the maintenance of this thing over a long period of time. I mean. A, a, a pop music concert or something like that is a thing that happens once and you watch it and it's like, okay, everyone sort of goes their separate ways, but this is like, all right, and set up for it tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. the, the sheer relentlessness of Broadway is very difficult and very demanding, but it presents you uh, with these human beings that are uh, unreal. So it's, you know, two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we're happy to have you on Broadway. Thank you for, for coming to our community and, crushing it it's it's lovely to be here yeah i mean i you're you're you seem like a very lovely person dominic but i'm sure there's a little part of you that has entered broadway being like first time out nailed it not not (laughs) not sorry about it yeah no notes um yeah it's it's great it's it's all fantasy camp like working on and juliet has been just rarefied air from the start of it the fact that you know it came into my life as a would you be interested in doing a musical with all the songs of Max Martin. And I was like, okay, that sounds like it could be fun. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if Max is showing up. And then the, the, the next day, it's like, oh, we're having breakfast with Max. This is real. This is serious. And it's been those kind of pinch me moments through through six years of working on it. You know, it's yeah. been just kind of every part of it is wild. Yeah. So that was actually was going to be my one of my last questions was when did the project begin? But I guess 2017 was when yeah. you started on it. Yeah. 2017. And- so and that was what two years of workshops before it eventually opened in the West End. Exactly, yeah, two years. We did workshops in L.A. and New York. I mean, our our first workshop, uh, Kayla Settle was in our first workshop. There's amazing people that sort of like pass through the orbit of, and, and then she later performed it in the West End. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, post post returning from the the break of COVID, like, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, it's amazing sort of the people that pass through the Juliet ecosystem. And I also think it's going to be kind of the looking at the various graduating classes. I I feel, again, very proud and humbled by the fact that, like, if you look at our graduating classes through our development process, there's going to be people that go on to some absolutely tremendous things. I love how many Broadway debuts we have. And Mm -hmm. yeah, just like kind of watching the these folks go out into the world is is amazing. But yeah, two years in various places and then we knew we were in london and we developed Mm -hmm. it over there and 
watching British audiences watch it. And then the world sort of ended for a minute. Yeah, and then we were looking up to come back over there and over here. It's it's incredible. Was London always the plan first? I think and you know, going full circle, talking about Mamma Mia, I think that that sort of cadence was somewhat in the plan of like there was going to be some sort of loop going towards Broadway. And I think London became sort of the obvious choice at a certain point of working out some of the Shakespeare and seeing it up against a British audience and things like that. I think that sort of factored into it. And um, yeah, it was it was really cool to meet uh, all the actors over there and our amazing band over there and all the folks over there. It was great. to I spent a good deal of 2019 living out there and it was mm. a tremendous experience. Amazing. Uh, what is a go to place for you in London when you're out there? Ooh, oh, my goodness. Um, the Coral Room for cocktails. Mm-hmm. A fantastic spot. And I love going to a restaurant called Bao for their Bao buns. It's an absolute treat and a must stop if 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 I'm able to, to swing over there. What neighborhood were you staying in when you were out there? Or is it yeah, sort of like in Soho, kind of close to all the theaters mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, it's you're living such a like charmed life when you're over there for work. Like, you know, you're you're I'm commuting just by walking everywhere. Yeah. It's like an amazing like, again, all fantasy camp all the time. Uh, so it was nice to sort of just, yeah, like be so I mean, because in the in that stage of the development, you're doing so much work all at the same time. We were both in tech and like doing the cast album and like orchestrating stuff like those days are very long. So I'm very fortunate that we were like so close to everything because we were doing three days in the same day, kind of every day for a a long period of time at that point. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's what I've what what you were saying earlier, which I really want to kind of loop back around to as we close out is the idea of just saying yes to things and, and leaning into wherever the journey might take you because just because it may not be exactly how you thought it might be at the beginning doesn't mean it won't get to where you want it to go eventually. So I think that's a wonderful lesson for our listeners to take for any listeners I have who are trying to break into the music scene, either in pop or jazz or Broadway. uh, What is some other advice you would give them other than just saying absolutely yes to absolutely everything? Yeah. I mean, I think the power of yes is amazing in that like anything that you want is behind the door of discomfort in a lot of ways. Like any, anything good is behind that initial barrier and the the act of doing and kind of uh, stepping past that initial kind of pang of discomfort. Uh, so much of like life's joys is behind that. So I recommend yes as a sort of attitude to get past that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I think is a big part of it is that I don't do this alone ever i think building community and like finding your artistic community and just your friend community is such a big and invaluable tool of everything because not everyone is up together some you know someone's up and someone is down and as uh i think the ability to challenge and motivate each other and be working on different things at the same time is very very powerful i'm very lucky to like you know, try to keep a lot of things on the fire at the same time. And I think, yeah, the fact that it's, you know, there's one day working with an artist on a record and another day playing in a band and, another, you know, that all all those sort of different hodgepodge of a life of a musical life led to Broadway and those doors open to other interesting things. So I think surrounding yourself with supportive, like minded folks who are going to challenge each other is a, another big, big, big part of things. Yeah. Preach, Dom. 
I I I say that all the time myself. So thank you for uh affirming what I've yeah, been saying. Makes me, feel, makes me feel good. Thank you. Don, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today for this episode. Um if do you want people to find you? If you do, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I, you know, I'm uh keyofdom.com on the internet and I still keep a Twitter somewhat active at keyofdom. Key of Dumb. Fantastic. And uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram only at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. You can give the podcast a nice five star rating or review if you so please. Uh, you can catch Dumb at the Sondheim Theater for the time being working yeah. at and Juliet. Are you are you there for the foreseeable future? Or do you have a out? I'm there for out? a while. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm there for a little while. So come, right. say come, come say hey to the dude if you can. Uh, we close out every episode, even this bonus episode with a Broadway diva. And I think to um keep in theme with this episode we're going to close out with the sultry mature tones of miss lorna courtney miss tony nominated lorna courtney uh, do you think that's apropos oh absolutely a- a- any chance to hear lorna is a treat fantastic well this is lorna for you guys and uh you can catch our next episode coming up in a few days and that'll be it for now uh take it away lorna bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.